on, on this Palm Sunday, we're going to be talking about, you know, this, this Palm Sunday account that we'll read later, we have, we have the theme of worship and praise, right? I mean, we're talking about waving of palm branches, we're talking about the shouting of, of the word Hosanna and blessed is he who comes and, and all of these different things. We're talking about worship today. Um, but what we're going to be really trying to focus in on is reminding ourselves when we should be worshiping and, and around what particular circumstances versus others we should have our hearts postured in that direction. So our theme today is worship, and we're going to enter into that theme with, with, with a discerning mind, um, because there are, some, there are some expectations during the Holy Week events that get shattered. Um, there are certain people who expected things to happen on Palm Sunday, and when the events of Good Friday took place, all faith was lost by a lot of people. And so we're going to try to reset our expectations in our, in our heart posture of worship, and Palm Sunday helps us with that. Um, so with those things in mind, let's go ahead and begin our time in prayer and the reading of Psalm. We'll be reading from Psalm 118. I would invite you that we not only prepare our hearts and our minds, but we also prepare our bodies um, to engage um, with the different elements of this gathering um, with, with prayer, with the reading of scripture, with engagement, with music, and, and things like that. So I'll, I'll take a few deep breaths. I would invite you to do the same, and then um, we will pray together with the words of that prayer being on the screen behind me. So let's, uh, let's enter into this time together. Sovereign God, you have established your rule over the human heart, not by force, but by the servant example of Jesus Christ. Move us by your spirit to join the joyful procession of those who confess Jesus with their tongues and praise him with their lives. Amen. Amen. Psalm 118, starting at verse 20. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteousness may enter. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he made his light shine on us. We join in a festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. So let's do that. Let's, let's give thanks to the Lord. Um, we'll have a couple of songs that will be led in. Um, once again, reminding us of the presence of God, the movement of God by the Spirit within us, among us, present among us. Um, as these songs begin, our Reachway kids will be um, dismissed to their time of, of worship and learning as well. So, Lord, be with us now as we engage with these songs. Um, be present among us. We, we open our hearts, we open our minds to what you would have us see, be reminded of today. Thank you for meeting us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ooh. Thank you, Lord. Zechariah is going to be a passage we read from, um, kind of setting our hearts towards this time of prayer. Chapter 9. Uh, Zechariah is a... Uh, it's in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, one of our... Uh, in this string of books that we would generally call the prophetic books, named after people, these, these prophets, these voices. Um, we normally read uh, from this one, and rightly we should, um, on Palm Sunday, and there's going to be a ton of imagery in the things that Zacharias talks about, even the, the psalm that we just read, and the passage that we're going to read from Mark chapter 11 in just a few minutes, it all swirls together. And so um, it's, it's lovely stuff. And so let's go ahead and read from chapter 9, starting at verse 9, verses 9 through 12, and then we'll have some time of prayer together. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away chariots, I will take away war horses, and the battle will be ended. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will extend from sea to sea his rule, from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. I love that phrase, to be a prisoner of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. We'll go ahead and stop there. Have a moment now where we will spend some time in prayer. I will um, enter us into that time with just a short written prayer, and then we'll have some moments of stillness, and then we'll have some time where we 
uh, present different requests, and then together we'll unite and say, Lord, hear our prayer. I've been doing that the last couple of months here. Um, so let's go ahead and, and pray together. Whatever thanksgivings, whatever petitions, whatever requests you might have, the Lord is with us um, here in tune. So let's, let's pray. Caught between joy and despair, we yearn for the fulfillment of God's desire beyond brokenness and the neediness of this life. So let us offer thanksgiving for God's presence with us and petitions for the transformation of the church and of the world. Let us pray. Lord, being now one year removed from the beginning of this pandemic, we ask that you would be with those today who have experienced profound loss in the last year. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would continue to provide strength to those who work in the fields of healthcare and education and other areas that are being stretched during this pandemic. Lord, hear our prayer. We ask that your presence would continue to dwell in the places where we live and work and recreate. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would continue to provide strength and discernment and courage for those who are on the front lines of justice initiatives in our region and all over the world. Lord, hear our prayer. We ask that you would be with those who are unhoused, those neighbors among us who do not have homes of their own. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, we ask that you would be with those employees and, and service providers who work with the unhoused, keeping them safe, keeping them healthy, and finding them shelter for their own. Lord, hear our prayer. Life giver, pain bearer, love maker, day by day you sustain the weary with your word, and you gently encourage us to place our trust in you. So, Lord, would you awaken us to the suffering of those around us? Would you save us from hiding in our denial or the taunts that deepen our hurt? But instead, would you give us grace to share one another's burdens in humble service to one another? Amen. And amen. Thank you for praying with each other. And I, I, do have, I do have two what I would call pastoral asides. Uh, I, that made Joan chuckle. That, that blesses me, right? 
just this little, you know, in a play or a musical where the, you know, just have an aside, right? Um, one has to do with a really fun story that I just, I must share with you. I got a call yesterday from an incredible friend from college. His name's Caleb. Just, just one of those friends that, you know, just every day, at, right? It just in college, just every day, every day. Good friends, always together. His mother, who uh, is uh, very sick and has been since I've ever met her, is just the sweetest person I think maybe I've ever met. Um, she can't even really walk on her own. She can't see. <laughs> when I say she's in poor health, I mean she's in poor health. But I'll tell you what's not in poor health is her prayer life. <laughs> so my friend Caleb has um, problems with seizures, and he has medicine for it. But even with the medicine, still has a seizure now and again. And uh, with the pandemic and stuff, he's actually uh, working from his parents' house. So he moved back in with his parents, helped look after mom while dad's at work. He got a job where he's able to work from home. Um, but even in his working from home, he needs to take care of his mom, who can't get around very well and things like that. Well, the other day, while he was working, he had a seizure um, and fell out of his office chair. And, of course, he himself was incapacitated because he was having a seizure. And, and his mom is, is always generally incapacitated and, and unable to help. Uh, and ways that she would be able to help would be like roll him on his side, make sure that his airway is open, things like that, so that seizure can just kind of play its course. Well, well what, did, what did Mrs. Duffy do? She just started praying. And I kid you not, the minute she started praying, his seizure just ended. And the reason that I share that with you is because Mrs. Duffy is like those people we read about in the, in the gospel accounts and in the book of Acts, where healing happens, and then that person just goes and tells everyone. And so they're literally in the process of literally telling everyone they know <laughs> that in Ada, Ohio, which is where the Wilson football factory is, of all places on the planet, um, Ada, Ohio, this little town that God is doing miracles in Ada, Ohio. And so I told Mrs. Duffy, who has prayed for me for hours since I met her in college. Um, I just had to share that story. Um, so uh, here we are sharing stories. And if you need a good story to share at lunch today or over the phone this week, I'll, I'll let you borrow that one. You, you can have it. So that's aside number one. Uh, aside number two is completely different <laughs> and also will have nothing to do with today's sermon. Um, I just, I want to share really briefly about the COVID vaccine, okay? And this might sound really weird coming from like the pulpit of a church, but I think it's really important that the church engage with cultural moments um, and just continue to remind ourselves like, hey, what, what, are, what are faithful postures for us um, in engaging all cultural moments? What I'm about to say has nothing to do with if I think you should get it or not. I will say that there are a lot of people who work in healthcare sitting among you right now, and if you would ever have any questions from a fellow brother or sister in Christ about the vaccine, I want you to know that there's a ton of people at Reachway who would be able to talk to you from that perspective of healthcare. This is what I want to speak on, though. 
is, and I'm not even really, once again, this is about responding to cultural moments, right, as Christians. That's what I'm getting at right now. I'm starting to see certain headlines, and I'm not here to say I'm mad at them, but I'm starting to see certain headlines about getting free stuff if you show a vaccine card and also a vaccine travel passport. That is to say, and nothing's been decided, nothing's been voted on, you know, whatever, but, you know, these, these rumblings are beginning to, to rumble. And I want, I want us, so very quick, so Krispy Kreme is one of them. Like, show your vaccine card and get a free donut. Well, I'll tell you what, those are the last things that we should be eating. Um, if you want to eat one, you spend your money on it. You know, we don't need free Krispy Kreme donuts. Anywho, that's a different thing. Um, I, and someone I've talked a lot about this with is actually Eric, who works at Unity Point. We, what's that? Yeah, he, no, he doesn't work at Krispy Kreme, no. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, he works at Unity Point Hospital. And uh, we've talked a lot about accessibility to the COVID vaccine. So things that I think should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. Ready? Here's some opinion piece. I think Christians should never say things like, you better get the vaccine or you better not get the vaccine. Okay? Because accessibility, extremely valid skepticism of the medical system, these are realities that play themselves out profoundly in neighborhoods just like the one that we're sitting in right now. Um, with extreme validity, with the skepticism side of things, but also the accessibility piece. Because if you're noticing the only tiers of accessibility um, that aren't directly um, employment-related, right, are age and pre-existing health conditions. And so if, you don't, if you're not older in age and if you don't have any pre-existing health conditions, but you might be unemployed for a, a million different reasons, many of which are not up to the person who's unemployed, then you don't have access, right? And you don't have a computer to make an appointment, you don't have a phone to call, you don't have uh, that free of a schedule to be able to show up to a clinic at 3.20 p.m. on a Wednesday, you know? There's so many different reasons why people aren't able to get the vaccine, accessibility, so as we enter into this slow season of reopening, uh, gathering again, right, I think, I think the last place that we should find ourselves as Christians is doing anything that would smell of guilting someone into getting it or not getting it. Does that make sense? Just nods and, and raising, yeah. And I, I want to be sure we're all on the same page with that. Once again, um, if you have questions about it, let's talk about it. I think our faith can really speak into even decisions like, do I get the COVID vaccine or not? Our faith also speaks into, once again, how we respond 
to cultural moments and how our response can be filtered through the love of Christ and also our neighbors whom we are supposed to love as we love ourselves as well. And so just a little aside right there. That's all I got. Thanks for hearing me out on that. Um, but it is, it is an important topic. It's going to continue to be. Um, and you'll never get anything for free from Reachway for getting it. <laughs> How about that? I'll have a couple of candles for you in June, okay? Like we can do that. Um, anywho, anywho, that's all I got on that. Mark chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. It is Palm Sunday. We have a pretty well-known passage to read, um, well-known for those who have been in and out of church for a while and who have been part of a Palm Sunday gathering before. You have absolutely heard this passage read before in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. A lot of ones there. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll talk about it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at Bethany, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say to them, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied to it at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and then he sat on the cloaks, sitting on the colt. Many people also spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches, <clears throat> excuse me, others spread branches, good grief. Alrighty. Well, can I have my water tie? That's going to bug me. Excuse me, friends. Goodness. Oh, if I only had a Krispy Kreme donut. To... <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. Verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, and Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts, and he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Okay, we'll go ahead and stop there and Sorry for my coughing. Um, there's a lot of well-known thoughts and quotes about history. What, we're, what we mean by history this morning is the characters and the events of past generations that are documented, but of course there are even infinitely more characters and events that we don't have insights into, that don't go documented, that don't go talked about, that don't end up in history books, and for those reasons are not really highlighted when we learn about history. 
Uh, maybe you've heard or even used the common phrase, history repeats itself. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you've even used that before. Um, we use that phrase often when we are trying to explain why something has happened. And we generally say history repeats itself because it's another way of saying, well, something like this happened last year or 10 years ago or 1,000 years ago or whatever else. And so we use that phrase, history repeats itself, which is probably pretty true, um, to explain why something has happened. I want to share a lesser-known quote that I am 95% sure originates from uh, a guy named Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel. He is a 19th century German philosopher and historian. And Georg, and I mean, like, there's no E at the end, so it would be George, but without the E at the end, is what this guy's name is. So what he said. What we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. <laughs> right? Ouch. What we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. The biblical events that we often read about on Palm Sunday, which we've read today, often described as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the, the triumphal entry, are ones that are deeply rooted in historical events, symbolism, and the word expectation. It's that word expectation that I really want to highlight today, that historically, um, the, these, this, this word expectation ties together the palm branch wavers and the Hosanna shouters and a famous donkey ride and an eerily similar real-life historical event that happened about 200 years before Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which took place right around the year 33, and around the year 164 BCE, right about 200 years before Jesus' triumphal entry, you may have heard of a Jewish priest named Judas Maccabeus, the Maccabees. This, this group of people that were very active during what we would call the inter... I'm using a lot of... I'm sorry, I'm using a lot of words today, big ones. The intertestamental period. There's about a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New, historically. And during that time, there was a group of people, we, we call them the Maccabees generally, that led an army successfully in regaining Jerusalem and rededicating the temple from Greek control and persecution. This is something that actually happened. would have been very common oral tradition in Jewish life and culture. In celebration, the newly liberated people waved palms in the air, hello, and, quote, sang psalms unto him that had given them good success in cleansing his place. Now, I say, quote, because there are some historical accounts that account for this period of time. 
That comes from the book that's called 2 Maccabees. You're not going to find it in, in this Bible here, but it is a historical account that accounts for that history, which is really, really nice. So I, I want that to sound familiar, okay? Um, we have, we have a, a group of people entering into the temple, the, temples, the Jewish temples being occupied by the Greeks, and um, victory is gained, and the people who have now been liberated are waving palm branches, they're shouting psalms to the person who saved them. And I hope that sounds very familiar, because we just read about that happening to Jesus. Those in Jesus' receiving line shouted Hosanna, absolutely, without a doubt, with the victory of the Maccabees in their mind. There is no question about it that when Jesus was riding in on a cult, they were thinking about the stories that they heard from their grandparents about Judas Maccabeus riding on a horse from a temple that they just regained control of. And so you could imagine that the people who were seeing Jesus ride in to the temple, right, riding into the town where this all happened 200 years earlier, you would imagine people would be saying, oh my goodness, we need to find palm branches. What was that song that grandpa taught us? What was that song that they sang to Judas Maccabeus? We should sing that one. There's no doubt that they had the same story in mind, and just like their ancestors 200 years prior, there is no doubt that they were expecting the same thing to happen. Victory, freedom, liberation, finally. I just want to draw on history a little bit just to connect those dots. But I want to I want to put my own thoughts down, and I want to draw from a guy named N.T. Wright, who I've read his thoughts before, still living with us today, far and above um, the, the most well-known and well-respected uh, living scholar of the New Testament. So he has this book called Simply Jesus, and I want to read from page one. I often talk about page one stuff in the Bible when we look at Genesis. This is page one of N.T. Wright, talking about Jesus coming to Jerusalem as a king, the, the, the triumphal entry. I just want to read a little excerpt here. As Jesus was going along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. When he came to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to celebrate and praise God at the top of their voices. The crowd went wild as he got closer. This was the moment that they have been waiting for. All of the old songs came flooding back, and they were singing, chanting, cheering, and laughing because at last their dreams were going to come true. But in the middle of it all, their leader wasn't singing with them. Luke chapter 19, verse 41 says, When Jesus came near and saw the city, he wept 
over it. Yes, their dreams were indeed coming true, but not in the way that they had imagined. He was not the king they expected. He wasn't like the monarchs of old who sat on their jeweled and ivory thrones, dispensing their justice and wisdom. Nor was he the great warrior king that some had wanted. He didn't raise an army to ride into battle ahead of him. He was riding on a young donkey. (laughs) And as he was weeping, he was weeping for the dream that had to die. He was weeping for the sword that would pierce him. He was weeping for the kingdom that wasn't coming as well as the kingdom that was. I want you to note, and end quote, I want you to know today that you should absolutely expect for the Holy Spirit of God to bring about reconciliation and peace to you and to the world. That is something that we should be expecting. We should want, and we have good reason to, identify with the people in Jesus' receiving line, saying, finally, redemption is coming. But I want to borrow a title from a a book that has become uh, very prominent in my home over the last 18 months, What to Expect While You're Expecting. (laughs) So I want to ask the question, we should expect for the Holy Spirit of God to bring about reconciliation and peace, but what should we expect while we are expecting that to happen? Well, we should expect the Spirit of God to do things as seen in the person of Jesus Christ, not as they are done by the rulers of this world with the logic of this world. God is in charge through Jesus, and God is not like, and God will not behave despite our deepest longings like power-hungry, violent, and manipulative rulers and systems of this world. We so desperately, at times, want God to think like us, behave like us, decide like us, talk like us. Our expectations get jumbled up, and here's the problem. What we learn in the Holy Week biblical account is that it takes about five days for palm branches to turn into pitchforks. It took a group of people about five days to go from, here's our king, to crucify that guy. And I would submit to you this morning that the reason is a false expectation that obviously 
went unmet, clearly. Here's good news. God is in charge. And good news is that God is at work all around us every single day. But is doing things the way that Jesus did or would do them? Just a brief, inefficient overview of Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do? He did things like heal on the Sabbath which at the time you were not supposed to do. Jesus did things like heal people 25 years after the fact of their ailment. You want to you talk about neglect. You want to talk about not wasting your time with that thing that's been sitting on a shelf for 25 years. Jesus wasted his time with that thing that's been sitting on a shelf for 25 years, tucked away in an attic, put in a storage unit. We see Jesus do some incredible things that we would not do ourselves, and we see Jesus do them to and with and for people that it would not be our first instinct to interact with. So God is at work. God is in charge every single day, but doing it the Jesus way, which is in part the reason why this week ends up with Jesus on a cross because Jesus is not flashy. And following Jesus doesn't result in ownership. It results in stewardship. The reason that Jesus ends up on a cross is because following Jesus doesn't end up with us in power. It ends up with us as servants to the world. God is at work. God is in charge. Through the Holy Spirit, among the people that Jesus encourages, in a passage we call the Beatitudes, You've, you may know the Beatitudes as kind of these opening lines of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Who is God at work among? Who is God wanting to help who is God's spirit living through? It's those who are poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's those who are meek. It's those who desire the righteousness of God. It's the merciful. It's the pure in heart. It's the peacemakers. It's the ones who are oppressed and persecuted. So what should we expect while we're expecting Jesus? Only Jesus, to be where Jesus would be, to do what Jesus would be doing, to be in the places where Jesus would be doing those things among the people that Jesus would be doing them with. I want to draw from N.T. Wright again, this time on page 53. It says, The people who were longing for God alone to be their king were clinging to the hope that was set out in Scripture, the hope that we read about in Zechariah chapter 9. The hope that after all these years, Israel's God would return to be with, and I'm emphasizing a word here, to be with his people, to rescue them, to restore them, 
to condemn their oppressors, to take charge, to do justice, to sort things out, to rule over them like a good king should. But instead, when the true king of Israel arrived, he pronounced his rulership and his kingship not only over Israel, but over the whole world. So, Pastor Seth, when, when should I break out my palm branches, figuratively, right? I mean, when, when should I be, you know, I'm, I'm expecting for God to move among me. I want God to move in my neighborhood, in my city, in my country, when should I get out the palm branches? When should I dust off the praise book and be ready to shout praises to God for, for, the, for the work that God is doing? Well, maybe when the person at the bottom of society becomes cared for like they're at the top of society. is when we should get out the palm branches and when we should say, oh, God's kingdom is coming. Because look, there are these people that have been oppressed for years and generations and centuries, and they are finally being treated and cared for like everyone else. That's when we should be getting our palm branches out. That is when we should be telling the whole world around us, our God is at work because that is happening. When should we get our, our palm branches and when should we be praising the Lord? It's when we see the poor in spirit being blessed. It's when we see those who mourn, those who know that something is wrong, receive comfort. It's when those who are meek, those who know that what they're doing is right, but no one around them thinks that what they're doing is the right thing to be doing. When should we get out of the way? On branches, it's when those people start making headway inheriting the earth is what the Beatitudes tell us. It's when they start actually getting their footing under them and when, actual, when people actually start listening to them and it's when people actually start doing the things that they think that they should be doing. When should we get out our palm branches? When should we be ready to praise God? It's when those who are merciful receive mercy themselves. And I could go on and on. But I tell you that our king comes to you. If I could quote Psalm 118, our king does come to you, comes to us. But not on a war horse. didn't send people ahead to kind of clear out this path so that there can be some untouched presence. 
I tell you, our king is coming, and in fact, our king and, and the, the principles of the kingdom and the people of the kingdom, in fact, are already present among us, and they look a lot like Jesus, who we see in his final days on his hands and knees, washing the dusty, nasty, smelly feet of the disciples that would turn on him the next day. Who we would see in his final breath, giving that final breath, beaten up and bloodied and accused, hanging on a cross. I tell you, our king is coming. Our king is already here. But in those spaces... In those spaces, and not in just a whole lot of other spaces that we generally try and put our hope in. We've got to fight that. We've got to fight that. I'll tell you something I've said for years and years is um, wherever people are very, very angry and violent, and expectation has not been met. Some, that's something I believe to be true down to my core is, is whenever you see someone or a group of people behaving violently and are really, really mad and expectation has not been met. And if that expectation hasn't been met, it means that where they have put their hope is probably the wrong place to put it. which is a bit of a double-edged sword because I think there are a lot of times where, where our voices should be used. I think there's a lot of times where we should be together and, and stand together as one and say, we don't like how things are going. They need to be different. But I tell you, when there's violence that's being involved, violence is not the way. Violence is not the way. And so we need to discern that. 